Welcome to the Return to the Forgotten Path podcast. Join us on this journey to travel to a forgotten pathway that leads to rest and restoration. This podcast is a weekly Bible study of this week's Torah portion, known as a Parsha. It's a weekly reading according to the Jewish annual Torah cycle. Every week, we will have a discussion filled with both historical and cultural viewpoints as it pertains to the return to the forgotten path that is increasingly happening all around the world. We will review and share opinions from the weekly Torah, also known as the five first books of the Bible or the Mosaic Law. We will also do readings from the Hafsorah and the Brit Hadashah, or the New Testament readings. For those who ask, what is the forgotten path? Jeremiah 6.16 puts it like this. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Our podcast seeks to point our listeners to that ancient old path through the study of the Bible from the perspective of the Torah, which is properly translated as instructions. Portion is Vayigash, which means he approached. The Torah portion comes from Genesis 44, verse 18 through chapter 47, verse 27 for the Haftarah. It comes from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37, verses 15 through 28. And the gospel portion is from the book of Luke, chapter 24, verses 30 through 48. This 11th reading is also from the book of Genesis. Like we mentioned, Vayagash means, and he came near. That comes from the first verse of the reading, which says, Then Judah came near him. This Torah portion begins with the dramatic unveiling of Joseph's true identity and his reconciliation with his brothers. It then proceeds to tell the story of the migration of Jacob's family to Egypt and the rest of the famine years. This Torah portion begins to set the stage for the Egyptian captivity of the sons of Jacob. And before we move forward, We'll do the blessing before the Torah study. The blessing before Torah study. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of the Torah. Amen. This portion was a very interesting one for so many reasons. You've got Judah that's pleading for Benjamin's release after he has to go back and face Joseph. And I think, well, the portion definitely states where Joseph couldn't take it anymore emotionally. He broke down and revealed himself. But it was a huge tug of war at the beginning of the portion where Joseph can see that the brothers had truly committed Teshuvah and they've repented, returned to the right way of doing things. When he says, I can't go back to my father and say that we've done the same thing twice with his children. Take me instead, let him go because the pain that would happen to him, I couldn't bear having it happen twice. And besides the touching reconciliation revelation moment, the sages also talk about the revelation of 
how Joseph revealed himself to his brothers and how it will be when the return of the Lord comes back. Kofetz Chaim says, when Joseph said, I am Joseph, God's master plan became clear to the brothers. They had no more questions. Everything that had happened for the last 22 years fell into perspective. Just think about how long that was. Joseph was captured at 17. 22 years later, this reunion occurs. How much life, how much angst could have been going through everyone's mind in that time? But let me just finish the quote. So too will it be in the time to come when God will reveal himself and announce, I am the Lord. The veil will be lifted from our eyes and we will comprehend everything that transpired throughout history. Amen. So besides that part, which I'm sure we can do a little bit more discussion about, the road is paved for Joseph to bring his entire family to Egypt with the food set. His idea was to have them stay Nearby, he's going to send them food. And Pharaoh heard that his brothers were there and said, you can give them the best in the land and set them up appropriately. And everybody was taken care of so they didn't have to go through the five years of famine going back and forth asking for food continuously. Then, you know, Jacob and the family and all his descendants settled in Goshen and the famine in Egypt continues. True. The Torah portion basically leaves off with the blessing of Pharaoh by Yaakov or Israel, um, which is very interesting as well. But I always remember this Torah portion for the words of Yaakov when he is brought before um, Pharaoh. Let me double check that I'm reading it accurately. One moment. I believe it's in chapter 47. Um, yeah, uh, Joseph has chosen... Um, okay. Maybe for the years of his life. I guess it's next week's Torah portion. So I'm actually jumping ahead. So in next week's Torah portion, um, when the family... No, we're still in the same one. At, towards the end, towards Joseph the end. brought in Jacob, his father, stood him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Yes, yes. Where is that in uh, exact verse, if you don't mind? 47, verse 7. 47, verse 7. Okay. So it's the words that Yaakov read, uh, says at this time that I'm referring to. So I wanted to specifically um, read those words as we begin our study. And Yaakov, it says, and Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And I think for, remember when we started um, the Torah portions, um, I think three weeks ago, we said that the generations of Yaakov, Joseph, being 17 years old, I feel like this specific verse is a tie-in um, to that verse. It's like saying, well, I have not attained, you know, the years of my father as they sojourned because few and evil have been the days of my sojourning here. Um, and you can say that Joseph 
has the spirit of a, a Mashiach, a, a Messiah, but I'm certain he's not thinking that the 22 years were were easy or that they were um, while a blessing and for blessing. I don't think that they were without pain. And so I, I feel in the summation of Yaakov's uh, life in his own words to Pharaoh, he is saying, you know, they're, they've been few, but they've been very tumultuous. They've been very painful. And I have not attained to my father's years. He hasn't died as yet, but he's already even declaring a thing. I have not lived as much as they've lived. Um, and they obviously it's like saying, you know, they live much longer than I. But I think he's also saying they lived differently than I. They didn't experience these things that I experienced. And he's absolutely truthful in all that he's gone through in his 130 years does not summarize or summarize any of the types of troubles that his fathers had. They did not have the trouble after trouble after trouble um, that Jacob more or less suffered during his 130 years. So I say this all to say... um, the purpose of a thing sometimes does not always define the blessing of it. So we can have some very troubling years. We can have some very um, painful experiences. But the purpose of it, as long as we remember who we're called by, and going back to the scriptures that says, you know, God is going to work everything out towards, you know, together for our good, rather, the tail end of that is for those who love the Lord and for those that are called according to his purpose. So it's not that God is ultimately going to work everything out for good. It's for the purpose, for those who love him, for those who are called, for those who are fulfilling the purpose to which they've been sent. And I, I see in Yaakov's declaration uh, a prophetic as well as... Um, testimony here to Pharaoh and to his children um, and his children's children about the purpose of life and for the for blessing it's been painful and few but it's been for purpose and it's fulfilled what it was called for anyway so that's my summation of a lot that happens in this Torah portion and there is quite a bit now the likelihood to cover all of this within our discussion is unlikely. So I'm just going to touch on a few things and then I would like our listeners to go in and possibly do some studies of their own. Um, we had the pleasure today of listening to a friend um, review a tour study where she explained the parallels between Joseph and Joseph's story with the um, similarities between a Jewish wedding and Yeshua and Yeshua's um, life and his purpose and his return um, with the body of believers called the church in the, the renewed covenant. So if you wish to study and see how the parallels um, are linked, um, just to wet your palate for it, when we see that Joseph in Genesis chapter 37 is sold for 20 pieces of silver, we also find that Judas, who again was fulfilling his purpose in perceiving 
that he was doing something that was either beneficial to his pockets or to his mind, um, you know, sells uh, Yeshua into the hands of the high priest. He does so for 30 pieces of silver. Well, the connection there with the Jewish wedding is that there is a bride price. And that bride price is something that is generally discussed between the bride's representatives and the, the groom. And so I want you to just begin your journey and study in a different way of parallel studies, both within the renewed covenant, as well as your understanding of what's happening right here within the lives of the patriarchs themselves. What I want to kind of touch on in a, another way is like the review that RJ went into real quickly, and he summarized it beautifully in less than five minutes. But there's some aspects of each part of this story that is touching on many chords of our faith as believers in Messiah, believers in the spirit of the word of God, the Torah as instructions. And I want to kind of touch on some of these, even as we are discussing um, what happened and transpired. So one of the things that happened at the beginning of our Torah portion this week is the, the, the fact that Judah steps up. Now, most people don't recognize the order of the brothers when they tend to do the actions or certain behaviors within the Torah study. And I want to bring to mind that Judah is the fourth child of Israel. He's the fourth child. And in order, it is Reuben, it is Simeon, it is Levi, and then it's Judah. And so remember from last week's Torah portion, we had... Reuben that tried to step in offered his grand his sons Jacob's grandchildren's lives for bringing Benjamin to um, Egypt, and that was rejected by um, Jacob. And then Judah says, "No, I've experienced. I understand what you have experienced. I also have experienced some loss, and I am going to say, I'm going to be the merit." I'm going to be the guarantor to ensure that Benjamin returns safely. So when Benjamin is tested from the end of last week's Torah portion and all the brothers, you know, rent their clothes and weep that, you know, all this guilt that they've been carrying for 22 years has come full circle upon them. And now they have to bear the cost of this and they all collectively go back. Them all going back together was them collectively bearing the weight of Benjamin's life as much as what transpires first in this Torah portion with Judah standing up and saying, you know, I'll, to Joseph, no, I'll be the guarantor. I'll be the enslaved one. Let him go. And I feel like there is so much to say for what happens here. So I'm not going to go into a lot of it, but to say that there's a few midrash that the sages provide in one of the midrashes say that when Judah stands um, and beseeches what he perceives as a king and he says that he will bear the price of enslavement for the freedom of Benjamin and he begs for Benjamin's release it is said that he not only drew close to Joseph but he threw himself at Joseph's feet 
And he did so as a way to, like a father would protect a son. He, he literally took on that position to intercede for Benjamin. And upon you know that level of intercession, the Midrash says that Joseph replied in a way that is very akin to some things that we don't tend to see in the text of the scripture, but I'm going to say to you in the scope of what you may see in the book of Jasher, this is really what happens prior to the cry, where he says, I'm, comp- I'm a compassionate ma- man and I show mercy and will show mercy to your father. You told me you had a missing brother who was brought into Egypt. If you look hard enough, you should be able to find him since he is already a slave and I will take him in exchange for Joseph. And that's, this is the Midrash that says upon even saying these words, Joseph could no longer restrain himself and he begins to cry. So imagine now you're Judah, you're at this man's feet. You're thinking about, I'm a head. My head may go off <laughs> for speaking when I'm not supposed to speak. Um, and this man starts to burst out in tears. And you're like, what is going on? The confusion um, in the room is very palatable because you can definitely know that if he's trying to restrain himself according to the scripture and he's casting the, again, remember, he cast out the Egyptians, those that were not within the household outside before he declares this truth. Think about what's about to happen in the eternal kingdom where the ones that really have affirmed faith in Yeshua, whoever attributed their decision as to how they live their lives and the faith that they walk by, they are going to see him first. They're going to understand and perceive him. But the Bible says not only they, all eyes. And it says that in the all eyes will see him, all eyes, all knees will bow and that all tongues will confess. That is a profound um, moment in history because no longer will, as the scriptures say, a brother need to be taught, you know, come see a man or let's learn. At that moment, all eyes, are, it's all revealed. And as you said so quickly, that is profound because that is what we're all hoping for by this walk of faith, that there is a period, it is a moment of justification where this completely all makes sense. There's so many questions to everything that we all go through and we are all living by faith that this will make sense, that this will be um we will be found faithful, that we will be found to be trustworthy of the promise and the gift. And so when Joseph comes at this moment and he says to his brothers, um, basically, first of all, he starts shut out the Egyptians, but they hear of it. Think of that. They hear of the, the, uh, the, the, the cry of Joseph and that it said that even it is heard all the way up to Pharaoh's house that Joseph's brothers have come. So too will it be so that there's a cry that's going to go out when Yeshua comes and all ears will hear it. They will all hear that sound. And so I, I feel like even in what we're talking about, even at the beginning stages of, of this Torah portion are so revelatory to and, and significant to the, the walk of the believer. We're waiting. We're, uh, we're being faithful. We're... Uh, being faithful unto death in some circumstances in many countries and in many certain periods of time where our lives are being you know torn from us because we are saying no um to the world we're saying no 
to the systems that the world has uh, commanded that we ought to live by. And so these are the things that we ought to remember and then also give uh, a, a level of value or importance to because it is so great, the decision, but it's also vitally important to the walk that we have to be faithful unto the very end. And so when Joseph, I mean, excuse me, when Judah decides that he is going to be faithful to intercede, that's the level of, you know, humility that our walk with the Lord really should produce. It should produce a humility that says that I am not worthy, number one, of all that you've already bestowed upon me, but because of my love and my faith for what you have given in virtue of this promise that I hold vast and close to my heart, you know, so close and dear to my heart, I'm willing to maintain it as a slave unto death, you know? And so I I want to hearken and hopefully reiterate this point to those who are just listening. That is the call. When you first learn of Yeshua and you learn of you know, what the Spirit of God wants in redeeming us to himself, what he's seeking really is our willingness to be faithful, our willingness to love and love completely and wholeheartedly. And I see in the brothers completely as a unit, this willingness to love wholeheartedly and to be committed to what love really requires. And that is profound. And yes, you will always have a speaker. You always may have a leader um, in the group, but it is still a, an individual decision, nonetheless, to maintain that walk daily. Matt, that's pretty cool. And I get where you're coming from on a lot of angles on this one. And I was thinking on what you mentioned about Jacob and how you remarked at the end of the Parsha after Jacob had blessed Pharaoh and declared that his 130 years so far have just been tough. Genesis 45 verse 25 through 46 verse 5 helps to give a little bit of insight on that. Take some time, read it through. I'm going to touch on some highlights that will help as you read and study for yourself. First thing that popped out to me were the differences in the verses where sometimes this individual is referred to as Jacob. Sometimes he was referred to as Israel. There's a lot of spiritual significance there. Highlights again, the sons come back. They speak to their father, Jacob. They say, Joseph's still alive. He's ruler over all of Egypt. Jacob's heart becomes numb. He didn't believe him. My heart hurt for him just trying to imagine what it's like thinking. I had a son. My son's no longer here. It's kind of those missing children's stories that you hear on TV or someone just doesn't come back after a long trip. And part of you wants to have the closure of Okay, they're gone, they're buried. This part of their journey, their life journey is over. I can say goodbye. But when it's left in such tenuous circumstances, you don't have that finality. You don't have that closure. So part of you is still hoping that they walk through the door again. 
And so he's wrestling for all these years. Like, I know they showed me the coat. I know they said that he must have been attacked by an animal. And I said, surely he's been torn to get by wild beasts. But he never saw the body. He never had that, oh my gosh, there would have been Joseph. It's just been this tug of war in his head. Is he really gone? Could he really come back? What if, what if? And to just kind of put myself in the shoes of somebody that's gone through something like that, to have that tug of war for decades, that's got to be tough on so many levels. And for his remaining children, how do you comfort a parent going through that? And how can you tell them yay or nay on any one of those levels to say, no, surely he's dead and really open that wound, or Mm -hmm. maybe he's still alive and give some hope to an old man that you can't possibly imagine has any accuracy or validity. You went back to the pit and he was gone. You didn't know where he went. You just like, oh crap, he was there. He's not there anymore. Now we got to figure out what to do, but nobody knows for sure. And then, as they tell him everything about Joseph, and they see the wagons, when Jacob sees a wagon, his spirit revives. Jacob is like, okay, I can do this. The next verse 28, and Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So could you imagine how many years of his life he was holding out hope? I don't want to die lest I miss the opportunity to reconcile, to be reconnected with this son that left home. So Israel, on 46 verse 1, Israel took his journey, everything that he had comes to Beersheba, offer sacrifices. Mm -hmm. Now, interesting again, it says he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And even as God speaks to Israel in visions of the night. He calls him Jacob mm-hmm. and says, here I am. And he, the Most High introduces himself to, or, yeah, says, hey, I'm God, the God of your father. Mm-hmm. And don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. I'll make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you. I'll bring you up again. And Joseph's hands will close, Joseph's hand will close your eyes. So he, the Most High speaks that, spiritual significance to Israel. That verse ends. Verse 5 starts again, then Jacob sets out from Beersheba. So you've got this push and pull between the spiritual man and the natural man, between the one that's fighting to believe of the eternal hope and life that he can reconcile with his son, which is what our Heavenly Father is looking for all of us, combined with the quote-unquote present-day reality that they're dead. They're dead to sin, They've been eaten by wild animals. The world is taking them over. They're under attack by the enemy of our souls because they don't know the power that they have in right relationship with me. But you're holding out hope every moment, every day that this could be the Teshuvah moment. Mm -hmm. They can turn. This can all come back around. And I can see this while I'm yet living. That tug of war has got to be something unbelievable too. To go through. And one other thing that I wanted to... Unbelievable, but necessary to believe in. So it's like, that is the tug of war, as you're mentioning. It's the the pull that the world says is unnatural. It's impossible. Improbable. But still, it is. Mm -hmm. And so, even still, we are 
fighting. We, you know, the Bible says it again and again. We are not wrestling with flesh and blood. We're 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 wrestling in our experiences as human beings against spiritual principalities in high places, and those principalities already know they can perceive what we cannot because we've been grown dead to that which is of the Lord until it's awakened in us. And I want to say that because it does require that God has to breathe back. You know, the the when he said to Nicodemus, you must be born again, he has to breathe back into us a a means by which we are turned back to our heavenly father and we can perceive his his world, his intentions, his way of thinking, his ways, period. And until that happens, yes, we the flesh does not, it's just constantly battling against improbable, unlike, unlikely, and completely unbelievable. But yet, still it is. And speaking on the spirituality of things, reading how the Parsha ends. In chapter 47, verse 13 starts to begin after Joseph has provided his father and his brothers and his household with food, they come back to the famine. And then you start to see the plan that was preordained fall into place as the people in the land all come under the control of Pharaoh. And I bring this up for a number of reasons. One, for those of us living within the United States of America, a lot of the laws and the court precedents and the philosophies that are used by the government of this land are said to be derived from this Judeo-Christian biblical perspective. So when you see some laws on the books that are talking about years of imprisonment, years of release, how long debts can be on the books for, so forth and so on. You look at how there's this plan for a time of famine and extended famine. There may be plans in place along these same lines. So be mindful with your spiritual eyes to see what could be and prepare accordingly. What I want to also mention is the money, the people's money, was spent as they were buying grain for the first few years. All the money got spent in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan. The Egyptians came back to Joseph and said, give us food. Why should we die before our eyes? Our money's gone. Joseph says, well, give your livestock. I'll give you food in exchange for your livestock if your money is gone. That year ends, they come the following year. You've got the money, you've got the livestock. There's nothing left but our bodies in our land. Buy us our land, buy us and our land for food, and we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. Joseph buys all the land of the Egypt for Pharaoh, for all the Egyptians sold their field, for the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. The people, they were made servants from one end of Egypt to the other. The only land that he did not buy was the land of the priests. The priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh. They lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Here's seed for you. 
you shall sow the land. Harvest, give a fifth to Pharaoh, four-fifths are yours. Use that as seed for the field, food for yourselves and your households, and food for your little ones. I bring this up because the times that we're living in, if you, going back again to what LaFerne was saying, if you understand the season that we're in and the ultimate reconciliation that has to happen spiritually, all of this has to happen for the whole earth to come back and realize who the true, one true God is. But if you don't understand what's happening in between, you fall victim to the schemes and the plots that others are imagining for you, thinking they're quote-unquote acting righteously, but they're working on behalf of the ruler of this world government, the pharaoh of your current land, location of dwelling. And be mindful because even though just like Israel and Jacob, we may have this natural life we're living, but we're ultimately spiritual beings. And we've got to think not only proactively, but with that spiritual eternal focus to realize that we can't get caught up in the schemes that are going or about to go on. And there's a lot of information online if you want to see more on that. And I'm not going to use this time to throw out a lot of different thoughts and theories on it, but definitely there's room for wisdom to be gained here. Mm -hmm. And lastly, with regards to only the land of the priests, Pharaoh didn't buy. Think on what that means for your life. I know sometimes we think of, in using the United States example, how houses of worship tend to not have to pay property taxes because they're seen as special purpose entities in the land of the local municipalities and they get certain favorable tax um, benefits due to their nonprofit status and so forth and so on. But also... Think on what it means to be set apart and living a life that's dedicated not to the, for lack of a better word, the God of this land, but the God of eternity and the begrudging respect that a ruler must be able to provide to sit there and say, okay, I see what you're doing. I can recognize that you serve a different authority and I will respect that enough to not put my life against the life of a deity and say, okay, I will give you your space. And then final thought before I um, get off the soapbox here. <laughs> Think on the quote unquote ghettos that they used to place people of faith in. Different countries, they had areas where they would reserve for the Catholics and the Christians and the Jews and the this group and that group that they didn't want to be part of the majority. They live differently. They think differently. They don't do what we do. Put them over there. And yet, in times of famine and prosperity, those people were left in their quote-unquote place. Nobody still wanted to be over there. What was... All right, well, it seems like we had some technical challenges on this recording. I'm not quite sure where that last piece broke off, but I'll be happy to add additional notes wherever needed for those who request it. So, long story short, to summarize, we're living on this planet Earth in our different parts of the world. Be mindful that as we're walking this eternal journey spiritually that we reconcile the two and we think 
proactively on how we can engage and maintain community with our spiritual brethren as laws and policies, protocols change during times of prosperity and famine and what that means for where we are and what we're doing and the people that we serve God with. There's a whole lot of information online and I'm more than happy to share with anybody who emails, contacts us and asks for additional information. Just wanted to give that there so then this way there's an understanding on whatever got missed during the unbroken recording and we can close out after Laverne gives her additional feedback. Well, guys, this has been one of my most favorite reviews um, throughout the Torah portion. I love opportunities where the full circle moment happens and you see what this was all about and how this opportunity to reconcile with your brothers fulfills the word of God. And so I I would be remiss if I didn't take this moment to ask if there's a person listening to the sound of my voice, if you have not committed your heart and your life to the Lord to give him that opportunity to be the head of your life and to be the the one you walk with that will help to heal, break down barriers, um, remove uh, shackles and barriers in your life so that you too can experience full reconciliation and redemption. Um, it would be in complete error for having had this opportunity and not saying it. And all you need to do if you are listening is really pray a prayer from your heart. The Bible says, and it records many times, um, even so in the lives of our patriarchs, where they cried out and God answered. And we're we're heading into um, the book of Exodus in the next two weeks. And, and the book of Exodus begins by stating that the cries of the Israelites came up to before God. And so I want you to understand that he is waiting for your request. He is waiting for your cry. And at the moment that you say yes to him is the moment that he resides within you. He does not leave you. He does not forsake you. We may have a challenge within our own experience of believing and being remaining faithful, but he does not. And so I desire amongst all that we are doing here and sharing this uh, testimony as well as this study with you, for you to have the opportunity to experience what it is to know him intimately and to find that you have come full circle and you've been made whole and complete. And the the drosh, the heaviness, the weight has been lifted off of your shoulders and you now have fulfilled your purpose. Um, and that's truthfully what we're all here to do. We were all created to glorify God. And if we miss out on that opportunity, uh, it is no amount of money or experience in this world that compares to a life well lived with that purpose. And so I pray that in listening today that you would cry and you would speak to your Heavenly Father, that you would ask him to come into your heart and to reside there permanently and to guide you 
so that you would understand him and know his ways. And in line with that, we're going to end our recordings as we do every single week um, with a request that you be drawn back to the teachings of his words. Because as Jeremiah 6.16 says, you know, stand at the crossways and look. And, you know, you can observe it. Observe the world. Observe the people around you. And notice the people that are moving towards life, eternal, shalom, uh, healthy relationships, beneficial businesses, um, supporting one another, living in line with community and love. And notice those that are not. And I'm telling you, those the pathway that leads to life may be wide but the path, I mean, the pathway that may lead to death is wide and there's many that travel on it. But the pathway that leads to life, although narrow and few find it, it is profoundly blessing after blessing after blessing. And so I, I call upon you to take to heart the words of the Yetzkaim and to apply the truth of the Torah to as instructions for your walk each and every week of every day of your life. And that's my prayer in Yeshua's name. Amen. So as we conclude this podcast episode, we always encourage those that are listening to like, share, subscribe, and continue the dialogue with us. By all means, please feel free to share any of these sessions with anyone within your circle and those that you meet. May we all be enlightened by our studying together and learning of the word. And to reach us, our website is return.rest and email is call to the number two at return.rest. So by all means, send your questions, your comments, your thoughts. Let's see what we can do to keep making this something of great value to each other. And... As we close, we will close with the Etzkayim prayer. Etzkayim hi la makazikim ba vetom mekeha meyushar de rakeha darke noam vechol nativoteka shalom. Hashi venu aranai eleka venashuba. Kharesh kharesh yamenu kharesh yamenu kekerem. It is a tree of life to those who take hold of it, and those who support it are praiseworthy. Its ways are ways of pleasantness, and all its paths are peace. Bring us back, Lord, to you, and we shall come. Renew our days as of old. Shalom, y'all.